Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, one and all, and welcome to Book Off, the literary podcast with a difference. I'm Joe Haddo, and it's great to have you with us wherever you're listening from. Have you got your hands on one of our Book Off tote bags yet? Well, if not, why not check them out on our social media channels where you can find a link to our store and bag yourself one. See what we did there. Remember, too, that we often do book giveaways on our social, so make sure you're following us on Insta and Twitter and Facebook and all that gubbins if you're so inclined to hear all about our future competition. But now down to business and it's time to welcome two fabulous authors to the podcast. My first guest is a New York Times best-selling author who has published over 25 novels across 30 countries. Some of her recent books include Behind Her Eyes, now a smash hit Netflix series, and Dead to Her, which is now in development with Amazon Studios, don't you know? Here to tell us about her latest novel Insomnia, it's Sarah Pimbra. Hello and welcome to you. Thank you very much for having me on this lovely sunny morning. It's an absolute pleasure and thank you for joining us. And my second guest read English at Oxford before becoming a journalist where she spent 11 years at The Guardian before going freelance and writing her first book. Her third novel, Anatomy of a Scandal, was an international bestseller and is soon to be seen on Netflix. Here to talk about her brand new novel, Reputation, it's Sarah Vaughan. Hello to you. Hello, lovely to be here. So great to have you both here, Sarah, 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 Sarah. Uh, not only have you sort of met uh, on Twitter uh, before, but also we met yesterday when we tried to record this, there was a technical fault and we have rescheduled. So this is like, you know, it's like old friends now, isn't it? Yeah, this is a reunion. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> We've bonded over the trauma, yeah. haven't we? We've bonded. Yes, indeed. <laughs> it's great to have you both here and to talk about these fabulous new novels. And as well as that, we're going to get some reading recommendations from you and we're going to have the book off, of course, where you're each going to pitch as a book that you love, that you think everyone should read. And you'll get three minutes uninterrupted to do so a little later on. But um, let's talk about uh, insomnia, first of all, Sarah P, if I may. Um, mm-hmm. Perhaps you could start by t- telling us a little bit about Emma and then setting up her story and the story of insomnia for us. Um, well, Emma is a woman who, on the surface, has a pretty good life. She's a divorce lawyer. She's got a stay-at-home husband. She's got two children, one 17, one 5. Um, nice big house, you know, promotion in the offing. But like any woman doing all of those things, there's a lot of peddling under the surface and she's sort of carrying 
a lot of the weight in the family and there's starting to be some fraction fractious stuff going on with her husband um but in the main she's got a pretty good life and she's the book takes place over the 12 days i think it is running up to her 40th birthday during which time she stops sleeping um, hence the title, cunningly named Insomnia. <laughs> um, uh, but her mother stopped sleeping in the run-up to her 40th birthday as well and did went mad and did something terrible. And Emma starts to worry that this, the same thing is happening to her. And it's kind of like my kind of play on um, those things that women fear, turning 40 and turning into your mother. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and... During one of the many lockdowns across the pandemic, and mm-hmm. even now with what's going on in the world, I think a lot of us didn't sleep, aren't sleeping perhaps as much as we used to. We've all experienced probably a little bit of insomnia recently. Was was the book born out of an experience like that for you? Well, I'm not a great sleeper anyway. And and um, Jess, it had an interesting birth, this book, actually, because Jess is the producer of Behind Her Eyes. She's not a sleeper either. And me, her and Suzanne Mackey, went, who um, was with Left Bank and now has her own production company, we they took me away to a posh hotel to brainstorm some TV stuff. And actually, this was what I came up with originally for TV. Right. And then when I was coming around playing with the idea, I said to them, look, I want this to do this as my next book as well. So then, and this did cause a lot of sleepless nights, I was trying to write the TV <laughs> and the book at the same time, which... I will never try and do again because obviously you hand in ep one and then you do notes on ep one and notes on ep one again and notes on ep one again and then it reached the point where my editor's like how's that book coming along i'm like holy shit so i said look let's part the tv till i've finished the book and then take it from there because then we will have the whole story and i will have done the book and so yeah so we're now i think we're just about ready to take it out for tv as well so it was it was, but yes, and nobody slept over lockdown. My agents didn't sleep. My, and it seemed to no. be much more women because women were doing more. I mean, Sarah's got, Sarah, the other Sarah from Netflix has got kids, <laughs> so she can comment on this as well. But I think women did much more of the heavy lifting with teens and homeschooling and kids and mm-hmm. trying to work themselves. And the worrying, I think women did more of the heavy lifting with the emotional, the emotional side of it. Yeah. Did you find that, Sarah, with lockdown? Yeah. I mean, my husband's, um, a doctor so obviously that had a real level of stress particularly in the oh. beginning when the, yeah. they have pretty inadequate PPE and, and you know at the very beginning we all thought everybody was going to die you know yeah. all doctors are going to die so obviously that was an element of stress but the very nature of his job means when he goes to work you know we've unfortunately sort of split down this real gender divide you know he daddy goes out to the office and I'm at home so obviously all the homeschooling when he wasn't around was was me mm. um and and just the sort of having I worked out that in 18 months that my kids were actually at home with holidays and things and the various different lockdowns and one did GCSE so she finished early they were sort of around for 12 of those 18 months so that heads what I found really hard was not having the headspace you know I mean just having you know my youngest I was 12 and all the things that have been great for them like seeing mates and playing sport were taken away from them and suddenly they were being sent they're at state school, so they weren't having interactive whizzy zooms. Certainly in the first lockdown, they were sort of, you know, just being sent links. And it's 
frankly, if I hadn't done the homeschooling, he would have not done anything. No. Yeah. And, it, and you know, it's things like The Tempest, teaching a 12-year-old boy The Tempest. I mean, his English marks were fantastic. I've but, been um, there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have, actually. You've been a teacher, haven't you? So, But, you know, God, Michael Gove. Oh, <laughs> anyway, the, yeah. the curriculum. But, but that's not... I think, I think the thing is, I found it really hard to be really creative because I think when you're worrying about people in real life mm. it's it's harder to worry about fictional characters it's, it's like I don't make demands on me you're not real people were saying we tried oh, but it wasn't any good write a novel. I was like really yeah. I'm sitting here thinking my mum's gonna die if she opens the front door and you want me to write I know a well exactly with yeah so it's I think the sort of emotional load was quite and I really reading your book uh, which I haven't finished because I do have insomnia around That's publication right. and every time I, it's two o'clock it's really it's last so night, it's two a.m and I'm and I'm an awake and I'm like I can't read this this is really stressing me out um, um but um I really felt for Emma because she's even though her husband is this house husband, he's resentful about it, isn't he? And, and she still ends up being the person who's doing it and sort of going off and doing the shopping because he hasn't yeah, done it. Yeah, it's you like know. all my friends who have high-powered jobs and kids, they even with their husbands who are very good and lovely men, it seems like they're genetically shit at doing the basic <laughs> oh, to, be fair to, to be To be fair to my husband, he's re- I mean, he's he is really good at cooking and really good he has one day a week where he's working from home and he does absolutely masses but i think it's the it's the remembering birthdays and it's the um doing all the school admin it's all yeah. that stuff you know yeah. there's sort of yeah. the fact that it'll you'll be the person who's called if there's something wrong at school because yeah you know obviously i'm at home all the time so obviously i can pop in and do whatever you know do you um, find it's dynamics with your kids in lockdown affected how you wrote the mother-daughter dynamic in reputation uh, well funnily enough um uh my daughter was so at reputation has a 14 year old daughter in it and uh, my daughter was 14 when I started <laughs> writing that novel um but I've been very clear that she is not Flora in any way she's she <laughs> she thankfully hasn't experienced anything like what Flora experiences yeah. and <laughs> they're not actually not she is not really on social media at, at mm. all I mean they have an Instagram account which they seem to sort of use to DM mates you know, instead of tweeting or Snapchatting, mm. but they're just she's 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 quite savvy actually. Maybe because I banged on about it so much, and actually in researching this book, having talked to lawyers, I kind of gave them quite a few lectures about precisely what they shouldn't be doing. And they're like, "Yeah, we've heard all that before. You've written a book about consent. Yeah, yeah, yeah." <laughs> um, well, you but, should uh, you should probably set up the book for us, Sarah. Now that we're talking about it and talking about Flora, because um, it, it is a very timely novel, I think. So why don't you just tell us um, the story in Reputation that you've written? Oh, okay, so Reputation is about a female Labour MP who stands trial for murder when a tabloid journalist with whom she's become entangled, I think is the way we're putting it, is found in her, her home. Um, but it's really about the difficulty women face in navigating their way through public life with themes of harassment, online abuse, revenge porn and political entitlement. Um, and it's also about the difficulties faced by teenage girls um, through bullying from frenemies on social media. So as we've just said, my MP, Emma Webster, um, there's a, an epigraph from the Duchess of Malfi at the start, so she's obviously is a element of revenge in here. So Webster's <laughs> deliberate. Emma Webster's 44. She's a former teacher, uh, and she didn't really intend to become an MP that quickly. She stood in a marginal seat. She thought it would take about three elections so that her then ten-year-old daughter would be, you know, in her late teens, early twenties by the time she became an MP. But the nature of politics is that it's precarious and you can't really tell as the 2019 election showed us and so she was elected and within six months her marriage 
you know, that was a bit shaky anyway, imploded. And her husband has remarried. There's a second Mrs. Webster and Flora stays with her dad in the week um, and then is with her mum at the weekend. And Flora is sort of, I, I was really conscious that I, I found my teens really difficult. I was bullied throughout my teens. Um, and um, she she really needs her mum. And it, this isn't casting shade on what her mum, Emma, does, but by nature, the fact that Emma works in Westminster, does 14 to 16 hour days, is completely preoccupied by an awful lot of stuff that's being thrown at her. She's kind of not that present for Flora, or she kind of assumes Flora's a very sensible teenager and everything's absolutely fine. So they're not quite mm. on the same wavelength. And Flora... Um, just as Emma, as soon as Emma sort of puts her head above the parapet, she starts experiencing all kinds of abuse online um, and physically, you know, from an angry constituent and through letters and texts. You know, I just kind of threw loads and loads of jeopardy at her. Um, and in a sort of parallel to that, while she's sort of firefighting all of this, um, Flora's also experiencing um, issues from former friends online. And I don't know if this is too much of a spoiler. Um, she does something a bit stupid and things spiral from there. That's a good, that was perfect, I'd say. Is that all right? Not too much. Yeah, Just lovely little tease. Away, but... We love that. Yeah. Good at <laughs> teasing. There's, <laughs> there's a, talking about a mother and daughter relationship, um, Sarah P, there's a mother and daughter relationship in, in your new book. Um, Emma's relationship, your character Emma's relationship with her mother and Phoebe's relationship with her mother because their sisters, oh. important part of the story. But I really thought the sort of different perspectives were quite interesting well, the way you wrote them. it's interesting, isn't it? I think the way we view our parents and how things change as we get older and perspective and all that stuff and and what's truth to you when you're seven is not truth when you're 35, which isn't truth when you're 50. You know, you, your perspective mm. on events can be very different. So... You know, Phoebe is much more forgiving. She's decided, or so it would appear, you know, I'm not, you know, whether she is or not, we will find out. She <laughs> appears much more sympathetic to... So her mother, with Emma, and this isn't giving anything away from the story, Emma's mother does a terrible thing. And then she is in an institution. She's kind of um, vegetative, not from any injury per se. She's just totally closed down. And then when at the start of the book, she is in hospital because she has been found sort of bashing her head against a mirror. Um, and this brings Phoebe back and Phoebe rings Emma. And so it brings the past very much into Emma's present. And Emma hasn't told her, as far as Emma's family, as in her immediate family, are concerned, their mother died when Emma was little. She didn't tell them any of this sort of backstory. So she's kind of juggling everything. But I think she's she's got her own relationship with her own teenage daughter, which is troubled. You know, Chloe's Chloe's definitely mm. getting doing stupid teenage things and Emma's very protective. <laughs> um, and then she has her own relationship with her mother to sort of unravel and examine. So it all kind of interweaves together. But I am quite interested, you know, when you look back at whatever your relationship with your with your mum is like, and most women have tricky relationships with their mothers. And I don't know why, because this is a person who births you and you're kind of totally dependent on and is the centre of your world till you're about 12, really. Mm. And then, you know, it's the person you probably resent the most as, as years go on, as you grow up, weirdly. You know, dad's always a bit more remote. Um, but then I look back at things like, I think, God, when, when I was eight, I was at school in Syria. So this was, you know, I'm old, so it was pre internet pre-mobile phone pre-technology and you know my mum would just 
crack on and get down the souk and buy food and sift bugs out of flour and you know like and you kind yeah. of think that so she would have been maybe 36 37 then and I'd, I'm like I would have been like hmm, no Uber <laughs> no, no Deliveroo what's going yeah, on exactly, yeah. <laughs> you know? so you do change your perspectives on things and and time you get you know you get older and maybe wiser or maybe just more more curious about about people so sorry, yeah. I just went on a middle-aged ramble there, didn't I? Love it. No, <laughs> absolutely right. And what one last thing on insomnia, if I may, which is about its sort of its form, because I, I think I told you before when when last year when I first got a very early proof, a very exciting, uh, you know, I was told this is a genre-bending novel, and I thought, mm. ooh, but oh, that's ooh. what Sarah Pimbra does. Um, and I just wondered if you if you approach books knowing you're going to do that or if you just start writing and let it go wherever it wants to go uh not always i mean i I come from a very um paranormal background as it were you know my first six (laughs) books were horror then i wrote fairy tales i've written historical crime horror i've written dystopian horror you know like so i've written a lot of weird stuff but i mean cross a heart was a straight novel you know there was no weird in it dead toe's got the slightest little twinges of it in there but with this one, it was it was more actually there was what I tend to do approaching a story. And I think this comes because I do work quite a lot in TV and film stuff now. And it comes very much from when you come up with a pitch idea and you think, yeah, this is solid. This works. And then I think, can I flip it? So I always come to what can I flip in this? What can I flip? So that's and often because I'll maybe have some weird. I, I like, you know, like with Behind Her Eyes, I wanted to write about dreams. And then the rest kind of came from there. So I kind of then muck around and then I get the ending. And once I've got the ending locked in place, then I can do the rest. So so I don't, long and short of it is, this one did not start out supernatural. And then I had a moment of, oh, actually, this would be much more interesting if. Right. But I try and seed it so that it plays like a thriller. So it's the mm-hmm. clues are there, it's all seeded in. So it's not like a ghost story where the mystery is second to the haunting the supernatural so like in behind her eyes it's it's the backbone of the story yes. the whole yeah. thriller is based around that that so it has to be there kind of hinted at from very early on in the yeah. book i think mm. yeah and you mentioned um working quite a lot in in tv now oh. sarah and uh sarah v anatomy of a scandal is coming to netflix in fact very soon isn't it 15th of april something like that 15th of april which is good friday so i think they hope that people oh. will binge, binge oh we can binge weekend. yeah yeah so and each episode is about 40 minutes long so i think yes. and there are six of them so i think actually sometimes an hour long episode can feel it hasn't got it's breaks the can perfect too long. click oh, it's a perfect click mm. bit of binginess yeah yeah right and how how, in, how involved have you been well, not as I'm not as such a TV mogul as the other Sarah, but um, <laughs> but I do I do feel like I I was well I'm an executive producer, which well I think it can um, I think it can be quite a vanity thing. I think it can be that it's just you take the money and it's you know your names on the credits, um, right. but I don't know whether it's because I'm a bit of a control freak or just because I felt so anatomy is about consent and power and privilege and entitlement and. Um, I just was very concerned, I suppose. Well, when, well, I wasn't very concerned. When I, when I, I was really lucky. I had various different people who were interested in optioning it. And I went with this amazing team of, of two women, um, Bruna Papandrea of Made Up Stories and Liza Chasen of Three Productions. And Bruna 
with and, and David E. Kelly as well. And Bruno and David had already done Big Little Lies and they've mm. now done The Undoing oh, and um, uh, Nine Perfect Strangers and Bruno had done Gone Girl. So I, I kind of, and when they talked to me, I was really, really aware that they wanted to put women behind the camera, women in front of the camera. So we've got an, a female director, S.J. Clarkson, who's done Jessica Jones and a bit of Succession and she's absolutely brilliant. She absolutely... I think she's really amazing and she's she really got it you know we we talked a lot and I sorry I'm not answering very very how was I involved I gave notes on different scripts and I gave notes on five different versions of five different drafts it's it's really faithful to the tone of the book it's really nuanced I think it'll be really thought-provoking it feels very faithful to the book um and yeah and they and 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 I and also I think what I I was I mean I think they probably would have bought this in anyway but I was quite emphatic they probably needed a legal consultant because I was really concerned that the 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 court scenes were very very um adhered to the book and I also checked things with political contacts and I think because I mean obviously amazing people working on the scripts David E. Kelly who did Begitalize and did Ali McBeal years ago and he'd done Law at Boston you know he's about 60 I think he'd done Law at Boston years ago and um Melissa James Gibson who worked on House of Cards but obviously they're both American and and it's filmed in London and it's very English or very British mm-hmm. and um so I think it probably helped as well having me being very English and sort of just picking up on idioms and things like that you yeah. know so I hope that helped um yeah and they they obviously they mentioned who they were approaching and I squealed embarrassingly and you know <laughs> <laughs> but I mean <laughs> yeah, couldn't play that cool <laughs> couldn't play that one cool <laughs> couldn't play that cool at all and then I because of covid I only managed to go on set towards the end of the third lockdown and I had to have two PCR tests to do that and then when I've I've gone and watched rough cuts which has been fine but it was it was it was just brilliant going on set and seeing oh, it all come good. together and, yeah and who, who's so in it did, uh, so um Sienna Miller is Sophie <laughs> have I not gone on about that are you not aware of that no Sienna Miller's got Sophie Michelle Dockery is um Kate would you like to see some photos um, there is James Whitehouse in the dock. He oh, yeah. Look like... He's looking very guilty. I'm not going to say anything. But he's, he's looking <laughs> Well, I'm not saying anything because I'm not creating spoilers. <laughs> right. So, and I, what I will say is they've made fantastic use of his cheekbones with the cinematography. Oh. They have well, they have really got Rupert's <laughs> money worth of Rupert's <laughs> cheekbones. <laughs> I'm a real sucker for cheekbones. Um, and Sienna just looks amazing in it. And But more importantly, apart from it looking sumptuous and fantastic and they had a, a set two stages is that what they called mm. it uh, at Shepperton but they they did a lot on location so they filmed in Oxford for a week in Winchester in Manchester um and then in central London absolutely masses wow. including outside including inside the Bailey and um outside the House of Commons and then they kind of spliced together lots of sort of central London historic locations you know it just it's it looks amazing. And um, I mean, I'm clearly not the most objective person about it, but um, <laughs> Michelle Dockery made me cry. And I think Sienna's performance is the best thing I've seen her do. I think she's absolutely brilliant in it. And it's, um, and I hope that it will, yeah, people will binge it and they'll, they'll love the locations and the clothes and how it looks. But I also really hope, without wanting to be too earnest, that it will make people think a bit and... Um, promote a bit of discussion so we went out for dinner after we watched the first four episodes and we just went on and on about you know would the jury find him guilty what would you know Mm. what do we think of this and and also I think different um generations might have different responses without wanting to give away too much of a spoiler there's a kind of Oxford backstory from sort of mid-90s 
and so there is there's a young team of actors who've been involved as well literally straight out of drama school some of them and um i think they probably might have different takes or my kids you know my daughter mm. probably have a different take so it'd be, it'd be really interesting to watch hopefully and i'm, I'm ridiculously oh, yeah. excited i'm going to be like sarah said isn't there some tracker or something you can work out whether it's yes flix patrol flix patrol flix i'm going to do no work refresh that over and over yeah. and over <laughs> So we're excited for that then, Sarah, for, well, what will be Easter weekend. So the perfect, the perfect thing to binge over Easter weekend on Netflix. And Sarah P, you've had uh, a show on Netflix already. And I'm right in thinking, aren't I, that Dead to Her is being adapted at the moment, but this is with Amazon. Yeah, yes. Any news there? Well, we're hoping, we're edging, edging, edging towards the the glorious green light. Um, I read the pilot, which was brilliant. Um, uh, I like what they've changed. It's you know, it's dark. It's fun. It's being adapted by um, Tracy White Oliver, who is the first black woman to make a million at the box office, and she did. She's she's done loads of films and TV, and I think they're now doing episode two, and then I think we should be green lit after that all going well so that's exciting and i'm doing death house with the people who produced bohemian rhapsody oh great so, yeah Fun. i've killed those children a lot of times now it's very south park <laughs> yes. it's like oh i'm getting back again here we go again <laughs> i mean it's just like it's, people always say like about screenwriting and, and books and they and they make this this mistake they say, oh, it's much quicker to write a script than a book. And you think, mm, it's much quicker to write draft one mm. of a script mm-hmm. than a book. But by the time you hit, you know, like, I spent most of last year in different writers' rooms for shows, and you just, you're on, like, you always go back to draft two, but you could be on draft nine by the time you go back to draft two and rewrite. You know, it's just, it's just like you're constantly, because the more yeah. people it goes to the high, you know, it goes to the broadcaster, it goes to the producers, it goes to this, it goes to that. And mm. then there's more notes and more notes. And then episode three changes, so episode two changes. So it's like, there's, you know, it, it takes a lot longer to do TV than it does a book. I call it the difference between a marriage and an affair. So marriage is your book because it's, it takes its time, it builds, it's steady, it's reliable. It's all yours you know you get there in the end you know when you're writing a script it's full-on passion and fury for 14 <laughs> days and then you just can't get rid of the thing <laughs> like, i love that like, you can't get rid of it it's like keeps coming back and you're like oh, god you could go away now <laughs> we've had our fun now just i've forgotten why down. i liked you i forgot why i liked you i want to go back to my book <laughs> my lovely book that loves me <laughs> well, we uh, we await to hear then uh, about more ad- developments for, for Dead to Her. Mm. We're excited about that too. Um, I always like to ask my guests what they've been reading and enjoying recently. And that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, they've been reading and enjoying something that's brand new. Just something that, you know, they've picked up and enjoyed and want to sort of shout about. Um, have you found time, Sarah V, to be reading much? And have you got anything that you want to recommend to us quickly? Uh, well, I've just had COVID, um, which meant um, that the, I think for the first time since my children were born, um, I actually lay in bed <laughs> and I couldn't, um, you know, because I was sort of self-isolating uh, and I was quite wiped out with it. So I slow, I read a lot more slowly than I wanted to. Uh, the book I was going to pitch to you, I realised I, I couldn't remember anything about. So I reread all of that. Um, so you've got a good pitch. Um, and I also read, uh, reread um 
Gone Girl because again I've got an awful memory for you know I, obviously I know about the the twist you know that I'd read but I'd must have read Gone Girl you know when it came out yeah. so I reread that to really look at the structure and and I loved it and it was you know sharp and also what I really and and I lo- and I'd forgotten quite how complex it was the sort of treasure hunt and um, what I also loved about it was. Um, Amy's cool girl speech which I think is worth reading just for that as sort of diatribe against you know the sort of assumptions that that men make about women cool girl women and you know Mm -hmm. girls play into but I also read um Harriet Tice's It Ends at Midnight, um, yeah. which is coming out in April. It's coming out next month, isn't it? It is. Which She's going to be on was, this I, very podcast, Sarah. Oh, brilliant. Well, I said it was more um, It was more blood orange than blood orange. It was more divorced <laughs> than blood orange. The sort of similarly self-loathing, drunken, unreliable narrator. But, um, yeah, I thought I'd, I'd actually gone up to um, Edinburgh in... Um, it's partly set in Edinburgh and Ghislaine Beach. And because of an Airbnb cock-up, we ended up staying in Ghislaine, which I'd never been to oh, before. Really? So I've been on the beach where the party was. And clearly she had much more debauched teens than I did. Hey, I was calling Harriet. I'm saying nothing. Uh, are you? Wow. wow. Okay. Um, it was quite uh, interesting because so much of it was like our youth was tangled. Really? Oh, well. And um, and we also stayed in, in uh, Edinburgh, so I could imagine those spiked railings and the, you know, I hadn't been to Edinburgh for years and uh, in, in Newtown and where, where it might have happened. So that was fun reading that. And I before that, I'd read Idol, which Louise O'Neill's Idol, which I think is coming out in... Mm. Um, May, maybe. May, I think, yeah. Yeah, uh, which is really interesting as well about uh, social media and consent. And I think she and I kind of skirt around similar themes, actually. So I think that's really interesting. And it's about a sort of, it, it's got a terrific opening chapter um, with a sort of this sort of social media. You know, she has sort of, she's an, an influencer. And yeah. she's just got these sort of teenage girls who are desperate to latch onto someone to adore who they think is going to give them all these sort of answers and things and uh it's, it's just very clever so i thought that was um that was really good as well so yeah that's what so i've been reading things coming up it ends at midnight and idle um Fair and enough. i've got a pile of stuff that the new ruth wears just arrived yesterday so when i finished insomnia which now hopefully now we've done this podcast i'll be able to sleep now <laughs> and i'll be able to finish the book i'm about three quarters of the way through so i'm um yeah Nearly there. Just need to read it in the need to read it in the day. And then uh, yeah. <laughs> Fab recommendations, thank you very much. Um and what about you, Sarah P? What have you been reading I and enjoying? I've been reading I've I read Jenny Fagan before, but I've really become a massive fan of Jenny Fagan. So her luck and booth was brilliant. Mm. And I just read Hex, which is a novella really, but it's it's a she just writes this beautiful kind of magical prose. And it's about a woman in Edinburgh in jail in the 16th, 17th century who's going to get hung as a witch the next day, killed as a witch the next day, a young girl. Mm. And it's about a woman in the present time visiting her in her jail cell in the form of crows. And it's, it's again, it's about men and women and, you know, the unfairness and, the, you know, how this poor girl is ending up... Um, being hung but she's she's just such a beautiful writer without being pretentious about it which is a very hard line it's like some people you can read some people's work and I feel like they're really trying to be literary writers and some people just are literary writers and she just is a literary writer you never feel like it's laboured it's just really beautiful writing without feeling like you're wading through it to get to the story you know like Mm -hmm. you don't feel like they're kind of masturbating as they write which you kind of get with some you know 
Um, I also read, speaking of great writers, uh, Catriona Ward's Sundial, which yes. I really enjoyed. Um, I did an event with her the other night for America, and it's very... We've got quite a lot of thematic similarities. I've known Kat for, you know, since her first book came out. And she's been long overdue, I think, to get the success that Needless Street had. Um, I read, and it was great fun. It was Paul Cleave's The Quiet People. Oh, yeah. Um, which came out from Arenda. And I love Paul. He's a deadpan, very funny man. And, I mean, I first met him the weekend his mother died. He came to Harrogate. And his mother died while he was flying over. So he just was like, well, I might as well carry on. Oh, gosh. Um, but he was, it was, it was just, un it was just so odd because actually we had such a fun weekend because he's such a deadpan person that obviously he was having all this emotional stuff, but he was practicing, practicing his speech for his mum. Anyway, his, his dark humour is very present in this thriller. And it's about two authors, which is always fun to read as an author, who are married <laughs> and they're kind of like, is it Nikki French, which is a married couple? They're yeah, kind of like, it is, yeah. right yeah. as a married couple. And their mm. child goes missing. And it kind of, you get this unraveling of everything around them and their marriage and, you know, who blames who for what and who's, you know, a bit gone girly with a missing child. Yeah. Um, and I actually, it was interesting because I'd read Hex and Sundar, which I absolutely loved and were beautiful. And then I raced through Quiet People and it was just a really solid, I mean, his writing's good you know but it wasn't literary you know like yeah. I know yeah. people get really funny about literary writing but I do believe there is a a genre of literary writing and he's yeah. he's a solid thriller writer and I absolutely loved it it was a real kind of fun read um I'm currently reading the new Callie Taylor one um which comes out I think in May mm -hmm. uh, but I've got a, you know a stack I've got the new Ruth Wears come as well so I'm looking forward to that one but I'm kind of I'm, I mean I'm I'm doing something slightly different with my next book so it's, it's, I'm actually enjoying reading psychological thrillers more because I'm not thinking, oh, you know, like mm. I remember reading Lucy <laughs> Foley when I was having a bit of an emotional crisis about books and thinking maybe maybe I need to write and eight people stuck in a remote location. Yeah, I just writes. tried to do that. Yeah. And then I just, everybody's doing that. Everybody had yeah. the same panic. Yeah, we were saying so like, Actually, I'm going to furrow my own little shallow path and if it fails, it fails. But, you know. <laughs> it won't fail. Not at all. I, was, I should say, I was also thinking what else had I been reading, and uh, I'm sure you might have heard of this one. In fact, I think she's she's been on or she's on this series. Um, again, Rachel. And and to my shame, I hadn't read Rachel's, or I can't remember. I, I mean, I can't remember books I've read in the past. I couldn't remember reading Well, it was Rachel's 25 years ago. Well, I, I think, don't get I think, it. Is it I think that, good? I, yeah, so I think when Rachel's Holiday came out, I was 23, 24, just started my... 24 I must have been stop stop denying my age sir. um but I think I just started as a journalist in London I was probably being I wasn't doing the coke but I was probably being a bit like Rachel you know and I was I just yeah. was I'd come out of doing an English degree where you didn't have to read anything after 1832 I think I read magazines and newspapers but I just had a bit of a period when I didn't and I read French literature for some bizarre reason but I wasn't reading commercial literature so I hadn't no. read it so I re I read it before I then read again Rachel and I just think she's so I mean everyone says this that she's sort of she's a genius because she because she she makes you cry and she makes you but she there's a real depth beneath the wit and the you know and the gorgeous yeah. voice as you're reading it it's like she's reading you a story and I was reading it and then I put on I was doing the washing up and I put on BBC Sounds and she was doing that pod or she was doing some podcast you know and I heard her voice on it it's just like she's reading you the most gorgeous story but mm. there's so much pain in it as well but it's sort of 
lightly yeah. done, but it's but it's but it really has impact. I just think she's and she's so supportive as well of up and coming authors. I just think she's a generous so. woman. Yeah, I just think she's a really lovely woman. But the book I thought again, Rachel was actually better than Rachel's Holiday, which in a way you'd hope, wouldn't you, after twenty five yeah. years? Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. yeah. Um, I just thought that was real. There were there were bits that there were phrases that will stick with me that I'll now I'll never see a kind of middle class man without thinking green and black man. <laughs> you know, <laughs> about the chocolate. You know, and and there were just really little witty bits, but beneath that, and um, you know, I. I, I I sort of effectively fell in love with her ridiculous leather trousered Luke Costello, but uh, you know, um, yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's quite sexy. Um, but it's uh, yeah, I just thought I just thought she's she's so clever and it's beautifully constructed as well. And yeah, yeah, really great. Yeah, if I'd known I was having COVID, I should have saved that, and that would have been a perfect <laughs> thing to cheer me up, but also to make me blub when I was ill. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. That, that's it's sort of a perfect COVID novel if that's a mm. way of phrasing it. But yeah, that, that, I mean that as a compliment. And you're right, Sarah. She, uh, Marion, was on with the wonderful Nina Stibby on this very series. So there is a previous episode with them both, and oh, they are fabulous, that. and they are very uh, supportive of each other to the point yeah. of both embarrassing each other. Um, <laughs> thank you very much for those recommendations. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. And now it's time for another one, because it's time for... The book off, where each of you is going to tell us about a book you love that you think me and the listeners should all read, and you get three minutes uninterrupted. You don't have to use the three minutes if you don't want to, but if you're still talking at the three minute mark, you're either going to be honked out by the bicycle horn or rung out by the school bell. So, um, Sarah P, would you like to be rung out or honked out at your three minute? Mark? I would like to be honked, please. You'd like the honk, okay? No problem. And Sarah V. Would you like to go first, or do you want to see what Sarah P's got and then go second? Oh, God. I think I might get it out of the way. Is that right? Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Get it out of the way. I love it. <laughs> Just before we set the timer going, tell us the book that you're putting forward. Well, I was going to show it to you, but I realise it's not a Zoom, so that doesn't work. <laughs> oh, God. Um, it's 
Hilary Mantel's Bring Out the Bodies. Fantastic. All right, three minutes then, over to you, uninterrupted, to tell us about Bring Out the Bodies. Okay. The book I'm choosing is Hilary Mantel's Bring Out the Bodies. It doesn't need much of an introduction. The middle instalment of her Cromwell trilogy, it won the 2012 Man Booker Prize and the 2012 Costa Prize, making her the only author ever to have won both awards in the same year. It's the most accessible of the trilogy. Wolf Hall seems slightly more literary, while The Mirror and the Light is a little more formidable in length, almost as if she was delaying the inevitable Cromwell's death. Bring Out the Bodies, shorthand for Bring Out the Individuals Who'll Be Executed, should be read by everyone because it's a terrific portrait of a powerful, mercurial leader and the hoops those around him have to jump through to ensure their their political and literal survival at court. It's exquisitely written, it's immersive, and bizarrely for a novel which, as anyone with any knowledge of English history knows, ends with Anne Boleyn's beheading, it's genuinely suspenseful. It's the paciest of the three books and you want to keep on reading, aware that Anne will be killed at the end but intrigued as to precisely how Cromwell ensures this happens, because the stakes are high for Master Secretary. If he doesn't bring this about, he knows it'll be his head on a spike outside the tower. Bring Up the Bodies is, all, is about politics, but it's also about sex and death. Like any good soap opera, it's really about who Henry wants to bed. Catherine of Aragon dies, Anne Boleyn miscarries a boy at five months, and Henry wants to move on to the great Jane Seymour. The need to provide a male heir is imperative, but he's also tired of hard and glittering Anne, and wants meek, plain, refreshingly stupid Jane. In a world in which the Queen should be more modest, more humble, more discreet, more obedient than an ordinary woman, Anne is contrary, flirtatious, and has forged an alternative court. Henry wonders if he was dishonestly led into this marriage, and so Cromwell starts to take tea with her ladies-in-waiting, providing cake and the chance for a gossip. Soon he has a list of five potential lovers to prosecute on trumped-up charges, including George, her brother. The bishops will be frigging themselves, he predicts, but just in case incest and adultery are insufficient, charges of treason are locked in. Readers, writers should read Bring Out the Bodies to learn from Tatman Tell's technical skill. She's a master of closed third-person pr- present-tense consciousness. Cromwell's charisma never has room to dissipate because for most of the 1,932 pages in total in the whole trilogy, you're firmly inside his head. And what a head it is. Cromwell has modern sensibilities. He wants to tax the rich, produce benefits for the, for the poor, put an English, not Latin, Bible in every church. He's slyly funny about the aristocrats jostling for position, and he's a very human, engaging man, full of love for his teenage son Gregory, still experiencing moments of grief for his late son and uh, late wife and daughters, but not averse to bedding a pub landlady and imagining sex with Jane Seymour's early older sister Bess. But it's in his handling of Henry VIII that he's the most mesmeric. He understands that the volatile, childish king, like our Prime Minister or Donald Trump, needs to be liked and doesn't want to make tough decisions. After all, he has Thomas Cromwell for that. So Cromwell is always thinking ahead, assessing who he can implicate, even if they're not necessarily guilty. Watching his back too, because in a novel about class, in which class is a major theme, his critics always see him as Black, uh, uh, Putney Blacksmith's son. When Henry turns on him and derides him for this, the situation is perilous. He will never claim that his heart did not turn over. Henry could, at any moment, gesture his to his guards. He could find himself with coal metal at his ribs and his day is done. <laughs> I had to miss two sentences at the end. I was like, shit, I can't get there. I can't, I can't say my final line. Well, well okay. done. You, that was, that was very... I uh, had a flashback to have school. You? And I remember <laughs> this takes me back to being in A-level bloody history <laughs> um, we had to be taming and we had to do a timed essay and obviously like he threw it on us i was nowhere near prepared for this and then when we got them back like everyone else was getting their a's and b's and he got to me and he said sarah very well written essay Ooh. beautifully expressed and i was thinking you oh, know i'm in there and then he went literally no factual content whatsoever <laughs> e and now oh, no. I'm, like, I'm literally 
literally about to wing this. I've got a little bit of notes and a lot of waffle. You and can. Like, you'll be that's doing all you it. need. That's all you yeah, need, Sarah. Yeah, but you'd be, you'd be much better in the interview. That's fine. It's fine. You've got, no, you've got no, going no, on the interview. No. <laughs> the only reason I did this, and I still have not got my killer final line, which I've not managed to get in. But anyway, I've, so I I was so concerned I was going to be honked out and then go, oh, I got the honk or whatever. <laughs> whatever. I listened. I made them say, first of all, I listened to it with Imran Mamoun and Robert Peston, where they basically, because they're both professional wingers, aren't they? So they basically <laughs> can just talk off the hoof. So it was a real blokey thing where, you know, the top barrister and the, the top political journalist could just do it off the hoof and then I made the mistake of listening to Ashley Ordrain and Abigail Dean and Jodie Picou <laughs> and both of whom had tight Jodie Pickers was like a rap because she spoke yes, so she fast yeah. so I slowed up which is why I didn't get my last two sentences listen, in. listen Sarah what all you need to remember from this is you're not selling your own book here that's that's what I'm doing wrong that's why I'm lovely not- brilliant but at the end of the day if I mess this up it's like well poor Joanna Cannon that's all I'm gonna say <laughs> so, I, so I have failed to I failed to sell my own book very well but I yeah. managed to sell Hillary's and she doesn't really need it but anyway she probably doesn't need it but <laughs> still still a very good job all round but yeah, yeah. Do, do you think I can send my essay to her do you think she'll give me an essay I think she'd like that yeah I think you should definitely send it over we'll send her the, we'll send her this episode as well for, for her to listen fine there you um, go. Yeah. well done though Sarah V that was brilliant and you can have a little breather and a rest now and and uh, I'm going to put three minutes back on the clock just Damn before we start it, Sarah P. <laughs> tell us the, you've already teased us there, Joanna Cannon, which, yeah. which novel are you putting forward? I have to, to apologise to Joe before I even start, but the book is called A Tidy Ending and it comes out on the 28th of April. Fantastic. All right, so brand, 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 brand new. Oh, yeah. Three minutes on the clock then, um, over to you, Sarah, to tell us about A Tidy Ending. Okay, well, this is a real quirky joy of a book to read. And I think that given the state of the world at the moment, it's everyone needs a book they can just lose themselves in, smile, get carried away with it. And I read it, I picked it up and scanned the first paragraph and thought, you know, is this going to be any good? And literally I'd read it in two sittings after that. And it was my first Joe Cannon book because I always thought she was going to be too literary for me. And it's lit. It's taught me what all the fuss is about with her because the writing is amazing. It's filled with some wonderful observations, which I would have read out a couple, but I gave the proof away as soon as I'd finished the book. Um, but it also has a brilliant plot and an amazing central character who have stayed with me. And I am going to read the book again when it comes out. So it's about a 43-year-old woman called Linda, who is one of life's underdogs, who lives a quiet and old-fashioned sort of life. She helps out in a charity shop where she's fixated on the young female manager. She thinks they're best friends. The woman clearly finds Linda very disconcerting. She has a husband called Terry, and they've just moved into a new house, but kind of live separate lives. Not in a we're about to break up way, but just in a that's how life turns out way. Um, And she also has a very domineering mother who lives nearby and they see each other once a week. And and from their dynamic, you can tell that something bad happened in their past with Linda's dad. Um, And it's clearly shaped and scarred, you know, their life and relationship. So Linda's in her new house and she's starting to wonder if this is all there is, hoovering, cooking, etc. And Post arrives for the previous owner called Rebecca. So again, there's a little allusion there. Um, And she gets these home furnishing magazines that Linda starts to pour over and they're all glamorous and exciting. She starts to think if she can track Rebecca down and make friends with her, then some of Rebecca's glamour will rub off on her and she'll be a more perfect person and, you know, have lots of friends and all this stuff. And alongside this, 
a serial killer has started to kill women on their estate and it's very curt and twitchy and gossipy. And Linda, who has a history at Transpires of trying to insert herself into police investigations, which is very funny, starts to suspect her husband. So as she tracks down Rebecca and is also investigating these murders and has all this issue with her mom and the shop and all, all this stuff, everything starts to weave together really, really cleverly and very surprisingly. And by the end, I had to, I had to smile at the ingenuity. I wanted to applaud Linda, even though, you know, she's very unreliable. Um, it's, like a, it's like a much darker Eleanor Oliphant um, with beautiful, beautiful writing, incredible characters. It's a really good lose yourself in it for a couple of hours. You know, I read it so quickly and it's a big book um, and everyone should buy it next next month when it comes out. And I'm going to go and read all her other books because um, it was just brought me joy, which in these dark times, I think we all need. And I'm out. Oh, perfect timing. Oh, that's unbelievable. Well done. <laughs> No prep, and you bring it in right on time. Well, I had well done. Some notes. That's I had very some notes. classy. Yeah, I was winging it, but note-wise. Um, I loved both of those. Thank you so much. Um, bring Up the Bodies is my dad's favourite of the trilogy as well, Sarah. Um, and it, 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 it is the most accessible, I think. You're right. And, and uh, when you were sort of talking about it, it reminded me that, yes, actually, that's the one you can sort of really, well, spe- speed through although it's yeah. still pretty big, you know, that is the one that sort of really does allow you to race through it. I think the first one, she has this slightly weird he Cromwell that she uses an awful lot and, and really, really long sentences where you can kind of get lost in who all the characters are and all the sort of stream of consciousness of it. Whereas I think she's she's got rid of that and the sentences are a bit blunter. And also it's, you know, there are these big personalities. So, you know, mm. and it's really funny. Um, yeah, and the, and the final one, although it's beautifully written, it almost feels as if, I think she said she delayed... She couldn't finish it because she didn't want to kill him off. And it, you know, it's something like 850 pages. Yeah, it's it long. Probably could have done and it is a bit that the, the third one, I find sometimes you're like, hang on, wait, who's saying that? What? Who's who Brandon? Who's Suffolk? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas this like you said, this one's exquisitely written, as, as you, you put mm. it, Sarah, and I agree. Um, genuinely suspenseful as well. Yes, it is. How? Because we sort of, well, most people know what, what is actually going to happen mm. in it. But my, my favourite part of your pitch was that, you know, writers should read it to learn from from mm. her craft, which I think is is fabulous. And you're so right uh, about about the writing of it. And it is a, a cracking book. Um, and Jo Cannon is, is wonderful. I have uh, had the pleasure of interviewing her before and reading previous books, Sarah. A Tidy Ending is, as you say, coming out soon. And she's going to be on this very podcast talking about it. Um, and I do think you're right. We need... Um, we need a bit of quirk and joy, don't we, at the moment, with the state of the world. We need to be smiling. Sometimes what can be perceived as smaller lives have so much going on in them. And I think that was what was so fascinating. We, You know, so many of our, and I speak as my, my writing too, and Sarah's, I think, our characters have very nice lives and they, you know, bad things yeah. are happening to them, but they're, you know, they're having these nice lives and nice things are happening. You know, they've got a nice car, they've got a nice house. And, it, and this, she's, you know, she's a very, from the outside, Clearly socially awkward, but a very normal day-to-day humdrum existence woman whose husband has a, you know, a blue-collar job, and mm. which seems to be people don't write about so much unless they're doing it in a very worthy way, you know, whereas she's done it. And actually, there's nothing dumb about Linda. You know, it's a really smart book. Just a real her, slice of life as well. And she, yeah, and her observations. I mean, it's, it was a lesson to me in that I... I 
I remember when Trouble with Goats and Sheep came out and I remember thinking, oh, that sounds interesting. But then thinking, oh, I don't, I don't think it's for me. It was one of mm. those lessons that often when I was younger, I read so much more widely. And I think when you start to write, especially, and Sarah will know this, you get sent a lot of proofs and then you mm. feel this moral obligation to read the proofs. Mm. So you're reading the same, like my mum, I used to give the proofs to my mum. And she would read them. She go, "God, so many books are psychological thrillers these days." I'm like, "No, they're just <laughs> the ones." Yeah, yeah. You know, like they're not all psychological. And and I I found it's very interesting to look at the bestsellers lists at the moment, because I think psych thrillers have maybe glutted out a little, and people are a bit like, "Okay, so it's either her husband or her best friend or her." Wife. I mean, I'm saying this with one coming out in two weeks, but <laughs> you know. I think there is a scope for more interesting, varied. It's not doesn't have to. If people want to try try their hand at other things, yeah. my new thing is you know at lockdown I was, I took stock and I thought you know I I wrote twenty two books before Behind Her Eyes and I had a good career, but Behind Her Eyes was the big one, and I thought you know what I own my own home. I've got money in the bank. I could retire tomorrow. It's not a problem. If I'm going to keep writing, I want to write the, the stories that interest me, and if they're mm-hmm. not times bestsellers they're not times bestsellers if they are they are so this is my new track is i'm i'm sort of being much more it's a pain in the ass for my agents and editors but you know my next (laughs) one will be a slight change of direction from from this one yeah and it's so great that you've read this one and now are going to go back and read other joe cannons i think and i loved your um your description at darker Ella, Eleanor Oliphant, which I think is a perfect description for this. So I've, I've used um, that twice, this book and also Will Carver's Psychopaths Anonymous, which is another joy to read, darker than this one, but mm. it is, it, that's very much a, a dark Eleanor Oliphant, yeah. Well, two fabulous pictures, I have to say, and two brilliant books. Um, and, you know, you've sold them both very well, but I, do you know what I'm going to... I'm going to take Joe Cannon on this occasion, I think. Ooh, Sarah P. wins it. Yeah, It's not out yet. So it's like, let's get the book that's not out yet. <laughs> now, that's for two reasons. One, as, as Sarah V. said, you know, I don't think Hillary needs our support. But the other thing is, Joe's coming on the podcast in a few weeks, so I want to be able to tell her that she oh, won. <laughs> she won. She won the book Well, I won't do my girly SWAT essay next time. <laughs> a very good pitch. No, they were both brilliant. So, you know, and I think I think if anyone hasn't read Hilary Mantel and, and they want something to get their teeth into, then it is, you know, obviously a fabulous trilogy. And that is the one. And also, another lesson in don't think it's too literary. You know, like, exactly. yeah. another one. I did the same thing with that too. I was yeah. like, oh, yeah. that looks a bit weighty for me, and then really enjoyed it. So, yeah, yeah. exactly. But also yeah. a, le- a lesson in not just reading the psychological thriller oh. proofs that you're sent, which I do far too much of. Because yeah. actually, you know, <laughs> no offense to that. But, you know, as you say, you do start to think, oh, second chapter, well, it's the husband, yeah. or, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, you, you definitely resold it to me. So oh, you have. Too late honestly. now. <laughs> too late, but, you know, but still, I'm sure. <laughs> no, I didn't get the honk or the award. <laughs> <laughs> and Reputation by Sarah Vaughan is out now. It's published by Simon & Schuster. And look out for Anatomy of a Scandal on Netflix coming 15th of April. And Insomnia by Sarah Pimra is also out now, published by HarperCollins. And it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you both, having your recommendations, spending this time with you. Thank you so much for being here. And um, thank you for your brilliant book recommendations. And best of luck with the TV adaptations to come. Oh, thank you. Lovely to meet you. Lovely to be here. Thank you.
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.